This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, we're airing a Carathon interview with Father Joshua Wirth on Our Family in Purgatory. This interview was originally aired May 3rd, 2016. And now, here's our Carathon host, Ken Billinger, interviewing Father Joshua Wirth. We want to start with prayer. Our guest is Father Joshua Wirth, and we're going to have Father Joshua to start our... our Father, go ahead. Uh, this is the prayer for poor souls in purgatory by St. Gertrude. So we'll begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer thee the most precious blood of thy divine Son, Jesus, in union with the Masses said throughout the world today, for all the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, those in my own home and within my family. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Now, our guest this afternoon is Father Joshua Wirth. Leads needs a little introduction to Divine Mercy Radio listeners. But if you may not know who he is, or if you've not had a chance to listen to him before, maybe you're traveling down I-70 listening to Catholic, Catholic Radio. He's the pastor of St. Sacred Heart Parish in Plainville and St. Thomas Parish in Stockton. He was instrumental in helping Divine Mercy Radio get off the ground and running and wrote the mission statement as was begin the Double-Edged Sword shows as well. So, Father Joshua, glad you're here to join us. Thank you. Always My like pleasure. to have you in, and, and we're excited to have you here today. And we're going to talk today on our family in purgatory, mm-hmm. and uh, this is obviously one of those topics that tends to become a point of contention with people. They don't understand purgatory. They say, where sure. have we heard about purgatory? But let's, and we're going to obviously address that. Let's talk about terms like particular or final judgment. What is What does that mean? Sure. Well, first, um, <clears throat> let me talk a little bit about purgatory. Purgatory, we often think of it as a place, but it's more of a process. Our minds, it's easier to talk about places, but the process of purgation or purification that happens after we die and we're not quite ready to go to heaven yet. So we need a process. God has a process for us and we call that process purgatory. And the way I always describe it to um, people is, is, is if you can imagine when you grew up and you grew up and maybe you were out on your grandparents' farm and, and you went out to side to play in the snow and, and you come back in, you come in that front porch or back porch and and your grandma or grandpa says, no, you can't come in yet because you're all dirty. we got to get you cleaned up. So there's a process that happens in that cleaning up. You're not going to go back outside, so that's the joy of that. But you can't quite go inside yet. So you're getting stripped down, and maybe <coughs> oh, you know, a broom is passed over you, and maybe it's cold, and you're shivering, and you're wet. and and But you just have to be cleaned up before you can get to that hot chocolate. You can get, get to that fireplace. You can get to that warm blanket that's inside. So... That process, um, and for our soul, we call that purgatory, that purgation process. So when we talk about terms like particular or final judgment, that one is, those terms are difficult to understand because they're a mystery, a mystery because we're not exactly sure how God's going to do it. We know he is going to do it. We don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know when he's going to do it. And this is a real trick, Ken. We don't even know if there's going to be a when because it might be outside of time. Right? It might be outside of created time. It might be an end of time. So it might be outside of time, so we can't even say there's a win if winners outside of time. And so um, I was thinking about this the other day, the difficulty we have with this. We're all going to die. We're all going to face the Lord's 
his merciful judgment seat. And that is what we call that uh, a particular judgment. That's that personal one-on-one judgment. But also there's a judgment of the nations. So we hear that in the creeds when we say that Jesus is going to come again to judge the living and the dead. And, and all the nations are going to be brought before him. And he's going to separate them like sheep from the goats. And, and so this idea that we're also going to be judged as a nation, as a world, as a community, as a, uh, that final general judgment of everyone. And our human brain, of course, says, well, that's two different judgments. Is there going to be, am I going to get judged twice? Can I pass one and then I'm going to fail the other? But no, God being God, being this mystery, being called the Trinity, where he's, he's uh, three persons with one nature, then he can also do this uh, mystery thing where we have two judgments, but they're actually just one judgment. So somehow we're going to be judged individually and at the end of time, or outside of time, we're going to be judged as a community, as a people. You know, I often think of um, how he judged Sodom and Gomorrah and how he said, uh, are you part of that um, sinful community or did you rebel against that sinful community? Are you the few righteous and I'm going to pluck you out of there? And so that's going to be how we're judged both personally and in community with others. You know, did we serve others like the sheep and the goats? But um, ultimately, that's going to be one judgment, so we don't have to worry about, oh, did my, I pass my particular judgment, but then I got to go back and get judged again, you know, when my body rises from the dead, things of that nature. No, God somehow outside of time does it all at the same time. He, he's not bound by, oh, I have, my son hasn't come back to earth yet, so I can't judge that yet. Outside of time, all that's already happened. And so he can judge the United States, he can judge Rome, he can judge Sodom and Gomorrah, he can judge all those places, and he's going to judge us as part of that community, but also individually as an individual soul in front of him. I think you bring up a great point, which is something I think we obviously we struggle with because we're looking at we look at our watches and go we need to go right. back on the air at noon, for example. Right. The re- reality is God being outside of time. How we it's right. hard for us to comprehend that because we can't. And as as like I said, it's easier to make a place for purgatory to happen. And if we make a place for purgatory to happen, we also we also attribute to it a time. It used to be that you would hear um, priests say, you know. If you say this prayer, you get 100 days off of purgatory or something like that. Well, the church kind of stepped away from that because people, you know, theologians and philosophers started to say, well, um, what are those days? Are they 24-hour days mm-hmm. of the earth revolving around the sun? Well, when there, there is no more earth, there is no more sun, and God is our sun, and he's the light that shines in all of us. How are we going to measure time? Are we still going to measure it by how long it takes for a, a watch hand to go across the watch? So those are things that we have to, words we have to use in order to communicate with each other. But God doesn't need to communicate with us that mystery. He's going to, it's all, thankfully, I don't have to uh, understand it. God understands it, and he's going to work it out perfectly in that perfect judgment that he's going to give us. In some mysterious way, also, our, our soul is going to be illuminated, and we are going to know with perfect certainty that whatever the judgment is, that it's absolutely correct, even if it's something that um, we don't want, you know, like maybe losing our soul, we'd say, but I know from this illumination of grace that this is the only answer that could ever have been and ever will be because it's the most perfect judgment um, possible. But we're thankful for the merciful judgment seat of God that will judge us 
in a particular way and a final way when we see him. In fact, one of the things with purgatory, and I was kind of joking before about uh, a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters really mm-hmm. struggle with that or don't understand it. And you know, the question becomes, how do what is purgatory and how do we know to, that it actually exists? Even some Catholics, I think, really right. kind of struggle with that. And one of the arguments, that, before I forget, I want to throw this out there because the argument becomes, again, we'll hear this from the Protestant brothers and sisters that – Christ died for our sins. He atoned for our sins that, you know, once right. we, we were done, we're, we're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might, but we'll jump back to that in a minute, but would you kind of talk about purgatory and how we know that it exists? Well, we know it exists. Um, there's evidence in the Bible, which is often where uh, Protestants have a, pr- a problem with it, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But we also know it from philosophy. We also know it from theology. We also know it from the developed doctrine of the church, which— uh, Jesus said that, uh, you know, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to remind you of everything that I, I taught you, and you're going to do greater things than I did, right? So we're able to develop this over time. And um, basically we had to come to an understanding. You know, I like to listen to the um, – I like to listen to the some of the Protestant teachers as well. Uh, I get some of my news from 700 Club every morning and listen to Pat Roberts on there, and, and he um, talks about um, how – Catholic just made up purgatory, and he uses a couple examples. For one, he goes to the thief on the cross, and he says, Jesus said, uh, today you're going to be with me in paradise, right? And he said, he didn't say there's gonna, you're going to go someplace else, and then you're later you're going to be with me. He said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And again, we, have to use, we can only understand it in our, the way that human beings understand things. But if I said to you, today you're gonna, today I'm going to have an interview with you, does that mean I didn't uh, travel from Plainville to be here, right? Or we didn't get ready somehow or we didn't get prepared somehow? Um, so even in those words of Jesus saying, today you're going to be with me in paradise, there can still imply how do you get to paradise? Is there a process that's still beyond death that needs to happen? Or it's possible that this um, – in that, in those words of Jesus, he absolved him of all his imperfections there, and he did go directly to heaven. But it's also possible that he went through this process of purgation, of purification, where he um, had, because we know this truth from theology and philosophy, sin cannot enter into heaven. It's just impossible. So if you're attached to sin, it means that you cannot enter in, into heaven. It's impossible. So is there a process where... That sin is unattached from you, or even your habits of sin. So, say all the all the um, sins are forgiven. You just went to confession, right? Just went to confession, got absolution. We say that that gets rid of all the structures of sin in your life. So you built up little houses of sin in your life. So it's all been raised to the ground, but you haven't been able to build up <coughs> virtues in their place, right? So because you haven't been able to build up those virtues. You have to go to, through a process in order to build up those virtues so that you are perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So you have perfect charity. So you have perfect mercy. So you have perfect love for everybody. Well, that um, takes a process. And whether that process is just a snap of the fingers or that process, we would consider that maybe 100 days of a process, you know, outside of time, it could just be a blink of an eye. So but also to them, it could seem like it's eternity there, right? So um, we know it has to exist because of different evidence from the Bible, but also um, from philosophy, from theology, from the development of doctrine of the church, that there has to be some kind of process because 
we still die, even absolved from our sins, we still die with a lack of virtue. And that virtue has to be perfected to be a reflection of God for us to go into heaven. And that process where we build, we get rid of that sin, detach from that sin and those vices and build up that virtue, we, again, that has to be done in some kind of process, and we call that purgatory. We're talking this afternoon about our family in purgatory. Father Joshua Wirth is our guest. And, you know, we want to kind of take a look at Scripture and um, the, the Bible talking about purgatory. And I know here's an area where sometimes, again, I, I'm going to refer back to our Protestant brothers and sisters because this is one one particular book in the Old Testament that mm-hmm. uh, that addresses that is not one that's part of, of their – uh, their books, but right. and I, I believe it's also referred to in the New Testament. But I'm going to let you speak to yeah. that too. But share a little bit about what the Bible talks about as far as purgatory. Yeah, there's a couple of inferences in the um, in the New Testament, even Jesus' own words. In particular, there's one where he talks about there's a debt uh, that in this um, parable he gives. This person owes a debt, and he doesn't forgive. His other person that owes him a debt, even though he's been forgiven. So he's captured, he's taken into jail, and says, You'll not be released till last penny is paid. And so some people look at that and say, Well, maybe it's just a parable. Others can say that um, that, that has to be, that is that process of perfection, that we are perfected for the damage that um, we cause with our relationship with God. Because that's the thing about um, absolution of sin, which maybe I didn't quite get into, but. When we sin, we uh, cause damage with our relationship to God. And then God repairs that, um, which is different than forgiving it. Okay, So if you imagine that you go to, you're really upset as a kid, maybe you're just like a little eight-year-old or something like that, you're really mad at your parents, and so you kick a hole in the wall, right? And you're like, oh, no, what have I done? So you go to your parents and you say, hey, I'm sorry for what I did. Can you please forgive me? And they say, you know, we understand that you're sorry. There is going to have to be some kind of punishment with that. So, you, so um, because of the damage, but yes, we forgive you. Okay. Now the hole in the wall is still there. Okay. That's what we call the punishment that we have to that that process we have to go through in purgatory. We have to be that damage has to be healed in in purgatory. Um, so that's even though you're forgiven, even though your sins might be forgiven, there was damage that occurred. But we can't fix it. You know, as a little kid, you can't fix it. God has to fix it. So God fixes that damage in purgatory, that damage that we did to others with relationship to others and the damage we did to our uh, ourselves and our relationship to him. He fixes that damage in purgatory. So you might even go to your parents and say, I want to give some kind of token of my appreciation for what I've, what what you're doing in repairing this damage. <clears throat> You know, so maybe we give them a flower and we, you know, go pick up some flowers and give it to them. Maybe we take our piggy bank and we open it up and we say, here's 50 cents, okay? You know, I hope this will help repair the damage that I did. And um, our Protestant brothers and sisters, mostly, if you look at the readings of like Martin Luther, he'd say, he would respond in this way. He'd say, get this dirty flower away from me. Get these dirty works from me. Do you think that your 50 cents can do anything to repair the damage that you've done to the wall? I have to do all that. And it's just an insult that you think that you can help me in any way or whatsoever. It's not that we're trying to 
fix it. It's a token of our love that we give to God. So that's why we get a penance after we go to confession. That's a token of our love. It's not going to repair the damage, but it's like giving God a flower. It's like giving him our piggy bank saying, God, I'm really sorry for what I did. Here's a token of my of my esteem of how much I'm thankful that you're going to repair this for me and I can repair it now. I can work on repairing it now or I can re- work on repairing it later in purgatory. So that has to be understood um, because that every penny has to be paid either here or in the next slide or in purgatory. So um, we go to especially in a Bible in Second Maccabees chapter 12. And again, this um, book unfortunately didn't make it into Luther's Bible when he uh, rewrote it and put it all <laughs> together again. But in Second Maccabees 12, we hear the story of uh, Judas Maccabee, and he's defending Israel, and um, they are successful in defending Israel, and but many of his soldiers are slain in that. And so when they go to search the bodies, they find that all the soldiers that are slain, mysteriously, they have a idol of them, of a pagan god on them, in the form of like a necklace or like a little a medallion. And he says, see, look what happened. They sinned. They had this uh, idol on them, and that's why God killed them. Now let's have a collection. Let's get a collection. So he got a collection from all the righteous soldiers of money, and he sent it to the temple and said, we'll have sacrifices offered for the atonement of their sins so that they too can be risen from the dead. All right? So we see the sacrifice being offered for a dead person. All right? Well, if there is no purgatory, it wouldn't make any sense that he'd be doing this because you're either in heaven and prayer's not going to help you, sacrifices aren't going to help you because you don't need help, or you're in hell and sacrifices and, and sufferings and penance wouldn't be able to help you there either. So there must, they must be in some kind of process where they will benefit from us sacrificing on their behalf, all right? So we want to take the sacrifices that we're doing and the, and the merit from that sacrifice, which is always united to the merit of Jesus on the cross. It's not that we merit anything, but we suffer with him on the cross, and then he takes his merit and applies it to somebody who has died. And then that they are their damage is helped to be um, um, healed by by the sacrifice that we've done. So he made the sacrifice on behalf of them through the offerings at the temple and for their purification. And so that's a huge, huge story that's a part of this teaching, that we get this idea because that's what we do. We offer sacrifices, except instead of the sacrifices of the temple, it's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the Eucharist. We offer sacrifices for those who have died for atonement of their sins, that Jesus would apply the merits that he has from the cross upon them and and heal that damage that they might have caused in any way between others and themselves and God, and that they might be purif- purified as well. So, like I said, <clears throat> unfortunately, you point this out to Protestants and they say, where is that in the Bible? And they say, well, in Second Maccabees. I don't have that book in my mm-hmm. Bible. Well, why did you take it out, right? And one reason Martin Luther took it out is he said, listen, this doesn't go with my worldview. This doesn't go with my view on philosophy, so is there a way I can drop this out? 
He also t- tried to drop out James, which mm, a pistol of straw. Yeah, it was it. a little bit harder for him to to get a, change any of the New Testament because mm-hmm. that was really setting people's minds. The Old <clears> Testament that was still mysterious whether what applied to us and what didn't apply to us from the Old Testament. So um, he was able to drop that off without people noticing, and then he started adding you know alone behind a lot of whenever he run in faith, mm-hmm. he started adding alone in there. So unfortunately, um, there was a bad translation with um, with Martin Luther, which has continued on, where we lose many books of the Old Testament, and we lose this particular teaching on purgatory, where I can't go to 700 Club and say, <coughs> hey, it's in there. I'll show you where it's in there. They'll say, no, it's not in our Bible, mm-hmm. right? So that's why you often hear on uh, Catholic radio, they, they say, where is it at? And they say, well, first off, which Bible are you using? All right, Are you using the one that um, Christians used for 1,500 years? Or are you using the one that they've only been using for 500 years? Because the one that has 1,500 years of history in there, that's where we get this teaching, um, especially we find that in, in the Bible for purgatory. The interesting note on that, and I think about this at times too, is there's the, you know, Christ talks about in the Bible, um, you know, you, sh- you shall not add to or subtract from mm. <clears throat> this, this word. Yeah. And that was the one that always kind of made me scratch my head. It's like, okay, so we're talking, you know, some of the, the, the books of the Old Testament, right. uh, those seven books and Deuterocanonical books. And then, uh, you know, as he called the book of James, Epistle of Straw, James mm-hmm. is a little hard for, you know, people to, for some people. That's, it's that's like, the only time <clears throat> alone follows faith. Mm-hmm. And so when James is saying, not by faith alone, right? So Luther went in and found faith when St. Paul was talking about faith and said, you are saved by faith, not by works of the law. He would, add, he would find phrases like that and say, you are saved, not, you are saved by faith, al-, and then he'd add alone in there, mm-hmm. not by works. And so he'd often drop off the law part. He'd often add in alone every time he found that that phrase, which dramatically, dramatically changes the theology. Absolutely, and it changed his his worldview. It it um, matched his worldview that he already had. And so, unfortunately, when he translated it, the uh, and compiled another Bible, he left out the things that that conflicted with his worldview. When and when you think about that, I, I never I guess it just hit me now. It's like you'll you shall not add to, which he did, mm-hmm. and you'll shall not subtract from, which he did. Right. Really both both ends of the spectrum. Yep. Exactly. Which is kind of a crazy thing when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Well we're talking this afternoon about our family in purgatory and kind of getting a better understanding. The one thing I think a lot of people try to I understand, and I, my, I myself, I'm thinking, what is purgatory like? What, mm-hmm. if you were to try to describe that? Um, Again, it's one of those things that's hard to describe. The best people that ever described it were the poets. So John Milton and his Paradise Lost, and and Dante. Um, they all have very good descriptions. Actually, C.S. Lewis has a pretty good description in his story called The Great Divorce. Um, it's, it doesn't exactly. Uh, match with Catholic theology, but I would recommend that to everybody. I saw Bishop Barron was re- recommending that to everybody to read that as a as a new way to um, to think about this process of letting go of your sins and your vices and building up virtues, and only when you finally get to that perfection through God's help that you're able to enter into the heavenly kingdom. And so, um, mostly, I try to explain to people like I did with. Um, you know, the idea that you're going into your grandmother's house, the warmth of your grandmother's house, but there's also this pain associated with it. 
and it's the pain of anticipation. That's the that's the worst pain. So a lot of people say, oh, is it some kind of like it's almost like a temporary hell where there's these fires and he's burning and this and yeah, Cardinal Newman would talk about a fiery prison and that we're we're um, you know the fire of that, but the fire there is a fire of God's love. That His love is so overwhelming, <clears throat> we can only take parts of it at a time. But we but we're also suffering anticipation of accepting that whole fire of His love. So we're burning out of love for God, and we're burning out of anticipation because we know. That there's no going back. That's the great thing about purgatory is there's no backsliding. You're not gonna you're not gonna add any more additional sins. You're not gonna um, um, backslide in, into any old habits or anything like that. It's always gonna be forward pr- progression. It might be a one step, then two step, then three. But the but the process in between each, each of those steps, you know, might be more and more difficult to do. And so uh, as we build up those virtues and get rid of that vice, so um, that is that painful step, that painful journey, that painful process, which is, again, always that painful anticipation that we're, we're so close yet we're so far away from the fullness of God's plan for us. We're so far away still from his the desire, his burning desire of love he's always had that we'd be a saint. And it's only when we're perfected as that perfect saint that we're able to enter into that community of saints, which is the community of heaven. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more from Father Joshua Wirth. on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, talking about our family in purgatory with Father Joshua Wirth, being interviewed by Ken Billinger. And now, here's Ken. Father Joshua Wirth talking on our family in purgatory. One of the questions, obviously, that comes up, too, is how do we how do we help those souls in purgatory? What can we do? Well, this is very important. In fact, the um, priests just got together in our different vicariate meetings, and we had a discussion about um, masses for those that are deceased because we're running out of them. I, uh, especially up in Stockton, we had to uh, I had to call the diocese and get additional um, intentions, mass intentions, because. Um, people aren't getting uh, having as many masses said for their their loved ones as they used to. So the biggest way we can help them is having a mass said for them, of course, because then all the graces of that mass, which are infinite, are applied to that soul in purgatory. And I've often struggled with this. I was like, I was thinking to myself one time, why not just one funeral mass and that's it? Because all the infinite graces are there. So if all the infinite graces are there, then that would just be boom. They're just out of uh, they're out of purgatory for that. But then I was praying about it. Why do we have multiple? Why do we have to have multiple masses? Why do we have to have every year multiple masses? And suddenly, you know, God was speaking to me a little bit, and He said, "Well, why do you need multiple masses while you're alive? Right? There's infinite graces in one mass, and if we were totally open to those infinite graces, we'd be saints." Maybe saints. There's a story of one saint I was hearing the other day. 
She received her first communion, and she died of ecstasy. She was so open to God's, God's grace that she received that infinite grace of Holy Communion, and, um, and God said, I have no more work to, for you to do. You're perfected already, and, and he took her, took her into heaven at that moment. So, um, but we need, we need multiple masses because when we're alive, we need mass every week, especially attend mass, um, and then maybe perhaps additional masses, go to additional daily masses. And that's because we put up blocks. We put up blocks to God's grace. We say, I'm going to let your infinite graces flow in this part of my soul, but not this part. Okay, today I'm going to open up that part, but not this part. Okay. And like I said, the problem with being alive is that we backslide. So we can let him into one part of our, our soul. And then the next week we sin and we've closed that part off to him. Right. So for that reason, we need multiple masses in order to get that infinite grace into different parts. And it needs a whole lifetime. That's why we want to start, you know, kids going to um, mass early, get them baptized early, mass early, communion, you know, at such a young age, age because we want them to start this process of opening up their soul to God's infinite graces. Well, it turns out that when we die, we um, are not still not totally open to God's grace. You know, even though we pass that merciful judgment, we stand in in this process, and uh, we say, "God, I'm I'm ready to give up this vice." And somebody has a mass head for us, and then all of a sudden, those graces flow into that part, and boom, that part that vice is gone. But we said, "I still want to hold on to this one. I'm a little afraid what my, what I'm going to look like without this one." Or God, I want to build up this virtue. Right, and then somebody says a mass for us, and that grace flows into that virtue and totally perfects it. But we say, but I don't want this virtue yet. I'm afraid of of what I look like with that virtue. I just, I'm just, I, I just can't move that far yet. I can move only only in baby steps at this time. So people need multiple masses said for them after after they pass, so that all these areas of their life can be perfected, just as in life, but with a graded uh, greater um, help that there's going to be no backsliding. So they're not going to say, okay, now I've sinned and I've, I've closed off that part and I need another mass for that part. No, all those parts are going to be purified and perfected in, in time. So we can help. That's the biggest way to help. The Diocese of Kansas asked for a $10 donation per mass. And that's also part of the sacrifice. Okay. So you're in a way you're buying, you're, you're assisting the priest with his time and his life, and he's going to need food, and he's going to, so the food that's that's sustaining the priest, you you bought that in a way, and you provided that to the priest, and now he's using his energy from that food to say that mass, okay? So that's um, a sacrifice in a way. But any place where we can sacrifice is a place where we can help, because people often know this, but they don't quite think of the reason. The Souls in purgatory can't really pray, and they can't really help themselves. And uh, why is that? It's because they have nothing left to sacrifice, okay? Um, they, can, they can pray for us to a certain extent, and I think we'll talk about that later, but it's a little, it's a little deficient because, you know, imagine God gives us a limited amount of time, gives us a little bit amount of time, limited amount of resources, and he says, use this time in order to build a relationship up with me and I will I will give you graces in order to make you perfect into the saint that I want you to be. And so we use that 
perfectly or imperfectly. We use that throughout our lives. Then we get to the end of our life. We die and we're in this timelessness outside of time of, of purgatory and say, okay, God, now that I got all the infinite time of the universe, now I'm going to start praying and build up my relationship with you. And I'm going to start sacrificing. He goes, wait a minute. You don't have anything left to sacrifice. Are you going to sacrifice food? You don't have food. You can't fast. Are you going to sacrifice money? You don't have money. You can't, you can't give alms. Are you going to sacrifice time? You're in timelessness of this process of purgatory. You can't even sacrifice a minute to me. You don't own anything. You don't have anything to give back to me. So anything that we can give back to the Lord, we can use that for souls in purgatory. So, for instance, you know, praying a rosary, what does that do? You might say, well, that doesn't cost me any money. That doesn't, uh, I'm not, that's not giving up food, but it's giving up a, a, a finite amount of our time, right? So we're only given so much amount of time, and you're giving that time back to the Lord and say, Lord, I want that applied to my loved ones or, or uh, all the souls in purgatory. I have no way to pray for them, and they're stuck for whatever reason in, their, in purgatory. So that's a sacrifice that we make. If you buy a candle and you put that candle in front of Mary and say, Mary, just like this candle is in front of your statue, I want you to pray for that soul, that soul in purgatory that this candle represents. Well, you paid money for that. You took the time to make that prayer and that intention, okay? So that's a sacrifice, all right? If you skip a meal and say, Lord, I'm going to skip a meal. I'm going to fast. This is for, for um, a prayer of somebody that has died. And, you know, I've seen some so much wonderful healing forgiveness. Let me tell you, Ken, something that I still can't get over to this day. I was helping um, somebody, and this happened twice now. Some women that were raped and working on forgiveness with them. And they could they got there before I could even get them there. And both of them came to me and said, Father, I think there's something that would really help me in my process of forgiveness to this person is they passed. I want you to say a mass for them. And they even gave me the the donation for the mass. And I mean, just so humbling that you're having a mass said for you're making that sacrifice and you want all the the infinite, infinite mercies of God to be applied to the person who raped you. I mean, just because you don't want anybody to go to hell for the hurt that they caused you and so healing in their life and so, so invigorating for me as a priest to be able to be part of that process. And I announced, you know, it's for a private intention and the women were in the, in the pew both times. And so they know who, and I, in my mind, I'm saying the name who I'm saying it for, and they know who I'm saying it for, the person's name, and I'm announcing that it's for private intention, and all those graces applied to that, to that person. You know, if that person isn't in purgatory, if, um, if they didn't pass that judgment seat, if their sins convicted them that they would lose their soul into hell, um, God can figure out where he's going to apply that. And maybe he applies it to somebody that's currently living that needs those graces, right? Somebody that's struggling with that same crime and that same sin. And um, he applies it to them to turn themselves in or to repent or to go to confession, you know, something like that. So you never know what good God's going to do with just that small token we give him. We give him, that, we give him that $10. We give him that candle. We give him that time, that 20 minutes of saying the rosary. You know, doing a stations across. I mean, any anything, giving up a meal, anything could be a way that we help those loved ones that we have, our family in purgatory. So maybe and people can make a sacrifice of money to the uh, to the radio station for 
their loved ones in purgatory. There you go. There you are. There's another way to great idea, a great way yeah. to pledge. Or maybe there's uh, somebody that you're struggling to forgive. Maybe you yeah. want to uh, make that pledge in their honor. Whatever it is, uh, it's a great way to do it and support Catholic Radio. This is such an important mission that we have here. And and again, we're really extending what what Mother Angelica really started with EWTN. This is an extension of that with Catholic Radio. The impact has been astounding. What uh, what her impact on the world of uh, and the Catholic faith and I think somebody mentioned maybe it was you that said, you know she really could have been a big part of saving the church in a yeah, sense. Yeah, catechized so. the whole generation. That's for sure. No doubt about it. Um, it's a, such an important thing, and it's uh, you have an opportunity to help evangelize and help that mission. And Father Joshua Worth is our guest this afternoon, talking on our family in purgatory. And this is the Extraordinary Jubilee Year of Mercy. Explain to us, if you would, why this year is called Extraordinary. Well, it's not too difficult of a question to answer. We often think extraordinary means, wow, that's over the top, right? And in in some ways it does mean that. But um, in the church language, there is the term ordinary, extraordinary. So we have ordinary form. You know, that's the Mass after Vatican II. And then we have the extraordinary form, which is the uh, pre-Vatican II Mass. We have ordinary ministers of communion, so that would be the priests and deacons and bishops. And then we have extraordinary ministers of communion. That would be the lay people that are tasked with that assistance. And so normally there's an ordinary jubilee year of mercy, or not a, a jubilee year. An ordinary jubilee year is every 25 years. So we had one in 2000 when, uh, with JP2 that he opened up these doors for indulgences, that we could use those. And then it wasn't scheduled that that would happen again until 2025. But Holy Father has really been trying to make things active and and say, we need it now. And so he, he called us Extraordinary Jubilee Year of Mercy, where out of the regular schedule, we have this opportunity to receive these indulgences. And then he had the extraordinary synod of bishops to talk about the family. And so in a way, he had an extraordinary exhortation on the uh, synod of the extraordinary synod. So he's been been um, trying to say there's these things that I want to address that the regular time frame of the church, we, he thinks he need, we need it now. And so we're happy to uh, celebrate that with him in this extraordinary Jubilee Year of Mercy that we're uh, celebrating right now. It's kind of interesting because— uh, I'm involved in prison ministry and mm. have been for the last 11 years. And what's interesting is this extraordinary year of mercy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one, that's one of those, those uh, that really falls under that. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's like people are coming out of the woodwork to volunteer. Hey, right. what can I do? to? Uh, so it's been a wonderful thing, yeah. not just in prison ministry, but other areas that, mm-hmm. the, the, that those, uh, you know, defining those areas of mercy. And so it's been a great thing and a very, very much a blessing, I think, for the church since that has happened. And it's created mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, I think it's kind of, for lack of better terms, maybe got some people off their butts a little bit right, to right. say, hey, I want to do something. I want to do something a little bit extra. Mm-hmm. And it has been great. Our guest this afternoon, Father Joshua Worth, on the family in purgatory. How do we gain indulgences during this year of mercy? And can we use these indulgences for the souls in purgatory, For maybe for people who kind of, you know, sometimes that's something that's talked about. Some people get indulgences, get understand, I should say, indulgences, mm-hmm. some haven't quite figured that out exactly. Talk yeah. to you on that. Um, indulgences 
you go back to my analogy of you know kicking a hole in the wall, you know, do you have to wait until you you die to start repairing that damage that you've done through your sins in relationship with God and um, with others? And and the church says no, you don't have to wait till you die to work, start working off your purgatory. You can do it now through indulgences, and there's many different ways to do that. Ordinarily, you know, praying a rosary for the Pope's intentions, um, you know, doing the Stations of Cross for the Pope and, Pope's intentions, and all these things, again, they're like giving the Lord this piggy bank, giving him these flowers and saying, you know, I've, I don't even want to wait until to re- start repairing this relationship. I want to start repairing this the damage I've done now. And then being a Jubilee year, those doors of mercy are named, and we get a plenary indulgence, a full indulgence of every part of our soul that is open at that moment. And so if we're totally open to God's love, his, his, um, all that damage is going to be repaired. And so we, we can do that for ourselves. We first want to do it for ourselves. That's why the Holy Father called it. And then we can do an additional time for others. So we can say, I'm going to go to the Holy Door for my and do all the prayers, attached prayers for that. I'm going to do it for my loved ones, or I'm going to do it for my dad, or I'm going to do it for my mom who might maybe passed, or my grandparents, or I'm going to do it for somebody I need to help. You know, I want them, God, to start working on their purgatory before they pass. So somebody I need to forgive, somebody uh, that I love very much, my children, or different things like that. So we can, uh, we don't have to, we don't have to just say, well, I did the holy door once. Now what am I going to do the rest of the year, right? Now you start doing it for others. So you start doing it for other people. And you're sacrificing. Again, it's that great sacrifice of traveling that distance, taking the time out of your day, taking the time out of your finite amount of um, days of your life, and using that for others and serving others, first for your own damage that you've done, and then for the damage that we pray um, oftentimes for those of the whole world. So will those souls that we pray for help us when we get to purgatory? That's a tough question. Um, I was trying to think of an analogy that would work for this because, again, it's outside of time. They don't really have anything to to sacrifice. And so their prayers for each other and prayers for us have, have aren't as efficacious at that point. The only analogy I can come up with was, you know, imagine you're walking through a jungle and you find somebody stuck in a sand pit and quicksand and – um, you go, you see, look down at that person, you go, sir, can you please pray for me and help me out? You know, I'm really going through some things right now. And they go, uh, listen, buddy, I'll help you all you want. Just get me out of here, right? And so that's kind of the, the credit swap that happens with uh, our, our friends in purgatory, our family in purgatory, that we sacrifice what we can for them. And then as soon as they get out of purgatory and they are – they're there in a beatific vision, and they know God's uh, love and perfected perfectly. And they knew they know exactly the process you got to go through to get get perfected. They can say, "Jesus, I know this person, and I'm going to whisper in his ear. Please help him in this regard. Please help him in that regard." Right? And so they become our our advocates, our intercessors when they get into heaven. So again, it's outside of time, really. So they yes, we can ask them for their help. Um, when they're in purgatory and outside of time, they're already helping us because they're in heaven and they're and they're interceding on our behalf. One more story, if we got time. We do. Okay, <clears throat> I've told this story before, but it's it's really um, interesting. 
because it kind of mixes together a little bit of uh, my exorcism ministry and uh, and the purgatory. Is that is there's a famous story, and I've told this many, maybe I've even told you before this, but there's a famous story that the exorcist went and told the bishops at one of their USCCB con- uh, conferences and the importance of this deliverance ministry and stuff like that. So what happened, I forget where this is at, but basically what happened is um, a priest had died suddenly in the rectory, and then a new priest moves in. And he hasn't quite even cleaned out the last priest stuff, right? And so he's going through just regular parish life, getting everything uh, ready, and he would hear these knocks, these gentle knocks. I mean, they weren't loud shaking, these kind of gentle knocks. And... You know, he investigated everywhere, all the vents, all the doors, anything that might be. And, it, and there's a really holy man, and so he prayed a little bit on it. And for some reason, he was just moved to ask a question kind of to the to nobody in particular, just out loud. Said, you know, maybe the priest's name was Father Robert. And so he said, Bob, is that you? And he hears a knock, just this gentle knock. And he goes, what, what do you need? And he hears another knock farther down the hallway. And he follows it, and it goes to the guy, the priest's old office that he hadn't cleaned out yet, and it goes to his old desk, and then there's a knock on top of the desk. And he opens up the main drawer in the desk, and he sees about two years' worth of mass intentions in there. That the priest didn't steal the money. The money was still in there too, but all the names of people that he was supposed to say mass for were, were still in this drawer that he never said mass for these people. And as I just explained... That's the reason that priests are ordained is to offer mass for, especially for those poor souls in purgatory. And um, so I can only imagine, if you can imagine what purgatory was for this priest that passed away, he probably found himself in a long line of people and he prayed to God and said, God, how long am I going to be here? This line isn't even moving. He said, well, these were all the people you were supposed to say mass for and you're not going to get out of purgatory till they get out of mm. purgatory. And he probably said something to the effect, God, it's, I'm so sorry. I put it all into this drawer. Can I have permission to communicate with the priest that um, took my spot? They'll let him know to do this. And God's divine wisdom said, yes, but you only get knocks for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> but God in his wisdom said, yes, you can communicate with the living, but only through these knocks. And so he's able to communicate through these knocks. That priest found it, took it to the bishop, said, what do I do? And the bishop took took all those mass intentions and gave them to all the priests in the diocese. It took like two months to say all those masses. But by the time that was done, there was no more knocks in the, the rectory. So I can imagine that guy being in purgatory and just sees all these people online ahead of him, zip, 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 you know, just getting zipped out of there. And then finally, when they're all done, all those masses that he should have said for those intentions, he gets zipped out of there finally too. So that shows the importance of that sometimes we can get communication from from those who are in purgatory that need our help they're stuck for some reason maybe they'll maybe they'll communicate maybe it'll just be a light will will turn on on their on their picture on the mantle you know that and god gave him permission to to make that connection so that maybe you'll pray for them maybe you'll say a rosary for them maybe you have a mass said for them or maybe more direct communication we always know it's a loved one when they just ask for prayer okay we have to be careful because sometimes demons could try to impersonate um um our loved ones but the demons will come and say, what do you want to know about the other side? You know, hey, you want to know where I hid the money and stuff like that. You know, they try, they try to start a conversation. They try to start a relationship. But even if our, our loved ones have come to us in a very vivid dream or something like of that nature, if they, if they need our help in purgatory, they'll say, have a mass said for me. Go to mass 
just going to mass, especially on a daily mass when when you don't need that benefit of that, it's not an obligation for you, going to a daily mass and saying, I want the graces of this mass to go to my loved one. Just going to mass. You don't even have to receive communion, but just going to mass um, is going to be a great grace for them. But praying a rosary, having a candle lit for them, you know, saying in our Father, you know, those are the those are the things that um, our our family in purgatory need. They would never try to start a conversation with you. They'd never say, "Hey," they would never pull on our curiosity or anything like that. They would always just quickly and firmly. They would don't they don't even wait for a yes or a no. They would say, you know, pray for me, say a rosary for me, go to mass for me, you know, um, have a mass said for me, light a candle for me, and all these things are sacrifices that then. Um, they cannot sacrifice for themselves, so we sacrifice for, on their behalf. And then all this is credit to us, not only when they get to heaven, but hopefully our children and grandchildren will see it as well. And 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 I'm hoping uh, other priests will see it, and they'll say masses for me when when I'm passed, so that um, we can be that loving family together, both body and soul in the heavenly kingdom. Well, I appreciate your time and sharing this afternoon, and I, we're going to have to wrap up here in a moment, but before we do, I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit, if you don't mind, Aaron, you talked about exorcisms, and, and that's something that I understand yeah. you're starting to uh, be, I mean... I've been assisting the exorcist for <clears throat> probably the last four years or so. Okay, so that's been going on for a while. Yeah, it was, it was right when I um, got assigned to Plainville, actually. I was, I think I was at my first exorcism conference when we found out that Father Galen died. So um, there's always been fascinating things around around that time. But let me make one more warning before I go, because I heard and I've seen that they're going to be visiting Ellsworth. I'm already, I'm already working a little bit with people over there. But um, uh, I guess there's a ghost hunter group in Hayes. I just found out, and some of the men say that they're Catholic. And that they pray to Rose before they go do this for the protection of Mary before they go do this ghost hunting thing. So I just want to make a warning that that is not a Catholic activity. Jesus never asked us to go ghost hunting. The Pope never asked us to do that. Mary never asked us to do that. Nobody in the church is asking any any Catholics to do that. And in fact, it gives away your rights that um, only belong to God, and starts giving your rights away to uh, to evil spirits. And so we don't want to be doing that. Even if we think we're helping people by discovering this stuff for them and maybe we're going to find some hidden treasure for them or maybe we're going to give them some kind of comfort, it's going to create greater damage. The best thing to do is all the, if you want to help those who have died get into heaven, if they're stuck somewhere, get that name. And you know if there's kind of knocking around in somebody's house, if there's somebody that died that lived there, you get a mass said for them, or you say a rosary for them, or you do these things for them. The church has never recommended and, in fact, forbids uh, any of this ghost hunting. So if anybody is listening or knows those guys or, you know, have them contact me up in Plainville at the church office, and um, and we can discuss that some more. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't realize that that was happening. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just found out the <clears throat> other day. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you have a comment for today's show, email comments at dvmercy.com. Or, if you can help support these radio waves and help save souls for eternity, go to dvmercy.com and click on the Donate button. 
You're listening to the network of stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear his voice, pardon not your hearts.